<coughs> so when we're working with the raw material, the hopefully it's not too raw right now. <laughs> the basic goods of uh, personal existence, meditation, direct, non-dualist, here and now experience. Yeah which we have to recognize that everything we see is really seen through our eyes, everything is thought through our own psychology, attitudes, everything is uh, emotionally felt through our own affective systems. So it's not there's nothing else there, but what we're receiving is uh, directly formed and fashioned and put together through our own receptors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the signals are coming, but we're actually assembling something in us is assembling the realities. Yeah. And um, particularly, I'd like to talk about uh, perception aggregate. Literally, aggregate means something that gets, sticks things together, and it sticks things together, and it's stuck together. And it, and it assembles meanings. Mm. Use the word meaning. Sanya is something, I think the word, English word sign and significance comes from sanya. Means the, the, yeah. So when you see a sign, oh, it's that. You get what it means, don't you? You know, it says, uh, please go this way. You, something happens internally. And kind of something lights up. Could be pleasant, like please go this way for a free meal. Oh, that's great. Or it could be unpleasant, like uh, you know, go to receive your punishment, <laughs> or something like that, or forbidden. You know, so then you get an unpleasant feeling. So there's an effective quality with it. So we might say you have the different quality, different basis of sanya. One is the purely external senses, which is just fairly neutral. Yeah, you know, the external senses, the idea, the nose and the tongue are all neutral. They have no effect. You see blue, green, you know, cow. You know, just sees an object, it's that. The effective senses are the body and the mind. You touch something, hey, this is touching me, you know, is this pleasant or unpleasant? That's an immediate reflex that, you know, to, you know, even before you can think about it, your body's already figuring that one out. You know, you pick up a hot plate and you drop it before you even know what it is. Your body immediately says, hey, this is, this feeling is too strong, this is wrong, you know, drops it. So this is an effective feeling. It doesn't go, oh, yes. Hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's responsive, yeah, so that's an effective sense. There's feeling involved with it, but even you know whether the the feeling is pleasant or unpleasant, you know the main thing though is 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 the, there's an effect, there's a kind of charge. Yeah, so you can see there's something bodily response. Even before you've really known whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, your body's already jumped back. Yeah. 
You know, it's, it's, the effect is so, can be so reflex. Yeah. So the effect is like a, a shift or an energetic shift of some kind, a charge or a discharge or a release or a tension. Mm. Mental stuff, um, similarly, you, you get a kind of mental reflex. You're insulted. <laughs> or somebody says something nice, you get a little flush of something, or an anticipation. Yeah, so something means something enjoyable, pleasing. You get a kind of sudden flush. Something effects, isn't it? And it's pleasant. You know, we call it getting our buttons pushed. And I, I don't, you know, there are all kinds of uh, highly pushed buttons in uh, in our lives, and probably in Sangha life that I don't really want to start pushing now. But <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> you get into like work routines, and it's really kind of <laughs> starts happening, you know, <laughs> or you get into kind of gender issues, or you know, them and us and all this sorts of stuff. And then the stuff really, you can feel the charges happening and the fears and the, and the agitation start going on. Oh dear, here we are again, you know, and it was so nice. Uh, <laughs> because you, this is the, the effect. And uh, in some ways, uh, you know, not to be naive about it, to recognize, well, there's a lot here, something strong here for me, you know, what's actually happening, you know. With the mental effects one does have, it's not just a pure blind reflex like the body. You can get a little bit of, <laughs> of a reflection in there to say, oh, okay. Particularly it's just a thought, you know, or an idea, bring it up, watch yourself jump for joy or sink or lurch or start swinging or tightening up. Okay, all right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, then you can kind of you can change it actually. It's the, no, so this particular function, it, obviously on a physical level, it's, it's, it's just survival. On a mental level, it's more um, ego survival. That is, um, you know, I, my personal reality, my personal comforts, on a more psychological you know, level, but where I feel safe or you know, enjoyed or enjoyable or free or these kinds of things. These are the kind of psychological, I might say structures or boundaries outside which we do not want to go. Yeah, and in monastic life, the, the physical side of it is, it's okay. You know, it could be softer, but basically it's really okay. Psychologically, it's very challenging. Yeah, so it looks kind of nice till you get into it. Psychologically, it means lots of things. You can't do this. Oh, why not? You can't. <laughs> why not? It's tradition. <laughs> you know, so the sense of one's freedom isn't there. Yeah, and sometimes you know, it's like you can't always have all these things really understand all these things, so you're okay, yeah, fair enough, you know. And then, uh, so that's, that's one, isn't it? That cuts into some of my 
my my my ego my ego boundary, which is a sense of well, I can operate my own show here. I know what I'm doing. Um, dependence and things like that, routines, definitely nibble and, and gnaw away at uh, our some of our boundaries. Being with uh, people of different karma, different temperaments, you know, it's weird. You know, he's really sort of irritable or gloomy or not much fun or whatever. I'd have to be with this guy for. <laughs> so, you know, uh, 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 so again, it's a sort of, uh, is it, I feel a little bit constrained by that because it, uh, you know, it's all kinds of, of things that get challenging for us, apart from the, you know, sitting still and being uncomfortable at times and, and, uh, Disciplines and restraint, so forth. So, I mean, it's tremendous that, uh, you know, people stay with this because just staying with it in itself is, should be kind of challenging. It should be actually, uh, you know, opening up some of these places where we get a bit squeezed, or we feel a bit flustered, or we start panicking, or we get a bit uptight. And, oh, good, you're working out some, you can be working out some karma here. Because karma occurs or reoccurs when old perceptual material, your old structure, your old sense of this is who I am, your old boundaries, the vipaka karma, the results of how one's lived or been educated or brought up, the expectations, assumptions, that's come up and it actually is that you don't have to act upon it. You can't carry through who you have been. You can't continue being who you were. And that's, of course, disconcerting. But it becomes valuable once we recognize that there is this possibility of um, liberation from karma and from being something and what that entails. Because if it's always going to be just about reaff- reaffirming and, and re and continuing in the, in the patterns that have already been established, you know, where does it go, realistically? Yeah. And I think, you know, in order to come into this life, probably, I would very much say whether one's really recognized it fully or not, we've all had that feeling of, oh, you know, I've been running around enough, I've seen the pleasures and the displeasures and the and all that. When it come out of this being, you know, who I am, or because we see you see the limitations of it and the limitations of, of karma. Cause effect, cause effect. Every effect generates another cause. Another cause takes you in another not quite good enough position. Yeah. It was good, but not quite good enough. Or sometimes it was actually horrible. Um, you know. So we do something else. That's that's all that you can get with karma and cause and effect. And if we stay on that that merry-go-round, we just jump from one cause effect to the next cause, the next effect, and so on, and so on, and so on. So you don't get out of it. And it's really important to remember. You know, for, for someone who hasn't attended, hasn't learned, or doesn't have the faith, 
this is all there is, you know. So I think, well, just get the best you can. But in this teaching and discipline, they're saying there's something, there's a bigger thing than that. You don't have to be just within cause and effect. You can come out of that. That's the good news. The difficult bit is means, yeah, there's a price there <laughs> to come out of it. And the price is uh, as one's uh, oneself. And that's difficult, you know. Uh, it's not just painful, it's also confusing, destabilizing. You know, when we get destabilized, we get reactive, flare up, sink down. Some of our firm edges, firm boundaries are no longer there, our realities are no longer so secure. And what is this? You know, what, is, what has made this self? It's a build-up of perceptions, of meanings, of impressions, of values, not necessarily bad values, you know, good ones, medium ones, not so good ones, ones with some elements of delusion in them, somewhat motivated, greed-motivated, self-oriented, whatever. You know, there's, there's, there's good in it, but there's, it's, it's mundane, it means it's still held, it's there, primary purpose is to sustain me in a good way, hopefully. That's what it's about. Just like physical survival, this is about ego survival. So, this is what I like, this is what's fair, this is what's right, this is what's good, this is what's easy, this is what's interesting, this is what's wonderful, this is what's possible, this is what's pointless, this is what's useless. This is all the mental perceptual stuff that we've, you know, we try to keep the negative stuff out and be with the good side of that or the interesting side of that. And that's, that's the mental perception. So, and then dependent upon that, we get volition, intention, which means, you know, you get that perception of, oh, there's no point in this, and boom, switch off, out. Yeah, that's volition, kicks in with some kind of action. It can be a mental action, like ignore. It can be even more than that, physically, you know, move out, go away. Um, something pleasing, or more of that. Inclination, volition comes up, get into that. More of that, give me more, 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 you know. And so that, that's volition. So the two stick together. The, the sanya triggers the, the chetana, or the, which is the primary, primary sankara uh, formation. Mm-hmm. And why, you know, yeah, fine, well, why shouldn't it? Well, this is the mundane. Yeah? So in, in Buddha Dharma, you're actually trying to wean out of that process. It means, first of all, you, uh, we say, well, yeah, okay, you know, well, there's some bad news here for your ego. You've got to let go of a bit of rock and roll, a bit of late night boogies, a few this and that and the other. But here's some good news. Look, here, look, ooh, look at this. Here's some nice. <laughs> You can have some meditation, you know. Well, right then. You, <laughs> you could have a free meal, you know. <laughs> you could have the, the ultimate truth. Oh, that sounds good. 
<laughs> samadhi, you know, respect, whatever it is, you know, so you think, oh, well, I can manage that, I think. You know, or you can avoid being in the hassle, you know, no taxes, no trotty job to go to, that could, so you think, oh, I can avoid that, and I can have this, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds good. So you kind of get the tidbits of there, no? so you get in there. <laughs> So in a way, it's the weaning process, first of all, it's the, it means you're, you're developing a different set of meanings and values, and you're finding, oh yeah, this actually, yeah, it does feel good, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, meditation isn't by any means always great stuff, is it? Sangalai is not unbroken bliss and harmony and concord, <laughs> how do I know? That's not always the ultimate truth. We sit here kind of, you know, have most of our debates are about, you know, oh, oh I just don't want to talk about it really. <laughs> intense, sangy debates about, you know, routines or coffee drinking or Sarah's dogs or... <laughs> you know, comings and goings and things of this nature. Uh, not ultimate truth, not blissful. And really, some of this stuff one kind of takes on partly because it does help you just to be come out of the oh, I can't be bothered, oh, this silly stuff, you know, into well, okay, this is you know, bigger picture here, Sangha life. So you get the perception of Sangha helps one to come out of the um, the narrowness of just pure self-interest. This is an important samana sanya, we're, we're, we're samanas, we're recluses, we're mendicants, you know, oh yeah, right, okay. And then, um, so that helps. We get a sense of dignity and nobility about it all. That's all perceptual stuff. And there's, there's stuff that's very valuable in there. One learns to move from one set of perceptions to another one. Just so the old synapses are being disconnected, the old reactions, the old programming is getting changed. We're no longer so compulsive. We're taking this learning on a very adult and fully conscious way, hopefully. Yeah. And it is unfortunate that sometimes it's not fully conscious, we just kind of do it because we're told to or because it's traditional or because, it's, you know, so you don't really learn it, you know. You don't get the feeling for why, why pujas, why meditation, why discipline, why robes, you know. <laughs> mm. You just do it, and then it doesn't really get the full quality of, of what this is about. But there is a sense of taking it on faith. Just because we learn, well, I, I don't really get this, but at least I know I can let go of the old habit. Maybe then it's, if that's done consciously and fully there's some space opens up instead of that you know immediate moving down one channel okay just 
trust the space, trust the opening. Because it's taking me out of myself. But just as a kind of note with that, just be aware of that, that this is not about a kind of numbing out or resignation or knuckling under. Do you, you know, it's to see, because it, it, you're not talking about collapse of the ego so much as a, um, a massaging of it and an extension of it and a, and a relaxing of it. You still have the sense of coherence and integrity in what we're doing. Mm, they truly try to, to to learn through the Sangha life, just you know, rather than just blindly obey it or or kind of react and stifle the reactions or react and don't stifle reactions. It takes a long while. Perceptions that. Uh, we develop in meditation perceptions of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, refuges. Something we feel well just handed over to this. Mm. And perceptions of um, loving kindness, conducive to that, compassion, appreciation, and uh, equanimity. So there are, so these qualities are actually, they're, they're volitions, they're not feeling, they're, they're volitions, chetana. So the metta is a chetana, which is a sense of wishing, or inclination, or intentionality that moves in that way, right? to, to nourish, to sustain, yeah? And sometimes, the, you know, so aspects of that are not always pleasing, it's like if you're feeding a, a cat or feeding the dog or feeding a child or something, it can be messy or you don't feel in such a good mood, but it's still that inclination, you know, so you get the, that quality. And uh, the perception is established for that is to, to recognize another being's need for nourishment. Like we all need that. So to myself and to others, yeah, we do need nourishment. It's much more physical, if you like. There's also the nourishment which is Warm energy, you know, warmth, um, physical warmth, uh, something that sustains us. We need that. And you recognize, you see that in another being. And, oh, yeah, you know, once you check in on that. And in yourself, then the metta chitta arises. So you develop that perception of seeing the the, uh, that quality in others. So get the perception, it's not like a, an ideology, we try to cons- just consider mm, what would be for another being's welfare or well-being. See what happens. You know, maybe nothing, or maybe just kind of feel a, a sense of we don't know what to do, but that's fine. It doesn't necessarily mean do anything so much as just to get a particular volitional quality attuned. Mm-hmm. 
Because when that's there, then the volitional quality of uh, meanness, niggardliness, is not there. Abusiveness, niggardliness, looking down upon, uh, being cheap, you know, cutting off uh, other person's well-being, that isn't there. So you know, we replace one with another. Perception for karuna is the perception of others' um, vulnerability, the ability to be possibly hurt, physically hurt, mentally hurt, whatever, psychologically. So again, you see the vulnerability, the fragility, recognize just any of these physical forms. You don't have to do much to them (laughs) to cause them pain, you know. A second would do it. And, you know, with our, our, they say we have an axe in our mouths, is the Buddhist expression. We're born with an axe in our mouth. So it doesn't take long to come out with a, a little word that will nick, <laughs> stab, <laughs> slice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even when you don't really intend to, just not really with it, or you're feeling a bit revved up or something. And just seeing the vulnerability of beings mm. and oneself. Start blaming, castigating um, yourself, punishing yourself. Mudita, the sense of instead of there being envy or jealousy or of other people's welfare, oh, he's having a good time, great. You know, we, we see the, the sense of, of we, we recognize the quality of happiness in, in others and, and well-being. So it's another level of it, a bit more developed. The beauty, the happiness, the good fortune. The strength the beauty, the uh, whatever, you know, positive qualities in others. And rather than she's got better than I have, he's bigger than I am, you know, it's, oh, you know, or he's getting his own way and I'm not. That kind of attitude we can have is just, uh, okay, good. Because once you understand karma, you recognize You know, the only deal that's worth having is, is getting out of karma. <laughs> you know, nobody's actually getting that, you know, would you want to be a millionaire? Well, or as an idea maybe, but when you see most millionaires, you think, oh goodness, you know, we want to be like that because of the, the fear that somebody's going to rip me off, the, and, you know, all that kind of thing. Would you want to be, you know, physically beautiful, when you see the kind of problems that very beautiful women have, They're trying to keep it all together or trying to ward off other people's advances or, you know, um, all kinds of unpleasantness, you'd usually want that. Or power. Power is another huge drug for people. You look at powerful people, you know, you know, world leaders, what a miserable bunch they are. 
<laughs> conniving, <laughs> frantic, egomaniacs can't trust anybody, you know. Who wants power? It's this enormous drug, isn't it? Because when you get the feeling of power running through your veins, you've got what you, you know, your say counts, you need this kind of charge. And it's, it's much more powerful than the money. Money's only an, uh, a way of getting power. Power is the, is the big thing for us. And we use what well, we use our, our words, our bodies, our physical appearance, our skills to derive this, this big charge of energy. You know, I am powerful, I've got it, I'm on top here. In some way, but it's not crudely. And the charge of it. And, uh, you know, once you actually get some reflection on that, this is an enormous, big, it's like cocaine, it's a big hit. And you want to be careful with that stuff. It can really, really, you know, spin your thinking around. You look at people who've got power, you know, and their manipulativeness and their fearfulness and their intolerance and their inability to be mutual or relaxing. You know, this is another human being like me. You know, careful of that drug, you know. So this is something to, we can get jealous of other people's power, but, you know. So, you know, the ability to have one say and get what one wants is not that, uh, doesn't get you one very far, that's what I'm saying. If another person has good fortune or welfare, I hope they use it wisely. May they be well with it. Good for you, you know. Don't hang on to it, that's all. <laughs> and then so you develop for that the sense of equanimity is really based upon the perceptions of karma. You see, you know, instead of going up and going down and getting, you know, praise and blame and success and failure and good and bad and gain and loss and, you know, in yourself or in others, you just see this is karma just throwing itself around, isn't it? Okay. So your mind gets very broad. This is what particularly, uh, I think, in Sangha life, when you're in communities and you meet many people, you get the sense of, you know, there's the ones you think, well, well, he's really a mess, or she's really great, or whatever. Just karma, working itself out, you know, and then... The good goes bad, the bad goes good, and it changes. Then you have your your own good days and your bad days, and yeah, and this is just the cause and effect thing. I mean, this is a big topic, upeka, because it is like a very developed kind of chetana. It's a wisdom chetana. So you're really based upon not something that's so directly apparent, so much as really reflecting on and contemplating karma, cause and effect. And the more that you contemplate karma, you see, all you want, you just, you you just don't want any more of it, really. Just want to finish off what you've got. (laughs) You know, I hope there's a few good views on the way, but uh, I don't you know, I'd like it to be a smooth ride, but I'd really like to get to the end of it. Oh, then just go through this whole scenario again and again and again.
So these are the perceptions that, if you develop them, help to counteract those reflex um, buzz that we get into blame and accusation and and uh, uh, aversion and jealousy and and going up. You know, going up, everybody's really on a winner. Going down, everybody's losing and leaving and disrobing. Oh God, misery, pathetic. You know, those kinds of swings that you, you have to be with in Sangha life. It doesn't mean you don't f- have no effects, but your, your jetana, your volition, is towards let me try to hold this space. Yeah? And within that, level you have to e- equanimity towards one's own you know, emotional ups and downs that, that we get affected by in, in life. So you develop these perceptions, the perception of uh, the uh, lovability, the, uh, the uh, accessibility and that which needs to be nourished in others, the fragility, the vulnerability, the hurting quality in oneself and others, the good fortune, the uplift in oneself and others, and the karma in oneself and others. You keep reflect, you know, bringing up those perceptions. It definitely affects volition. It takes the volitional quality out of the old karmic patterns that we've called ourself because we've got so familiar with them. Because they're always around, and our inclination is towards the constant. We need to, we try to establish coherence and selfhood through what's constant. Then, well, it feels pretty much constant. It's me again. So, <laughs> what gets familiar with the patterns? So that becomes who I am. And then sometimes we really want to hang on to that. <laughs> Something just wants to hang on to that. You see, you know, it's one own little kind of patch of localized, you know, familiar okay, slightly dog-eared manageability as, this is me, <laughs> don't take me out of here. <laughs> well, it kind of hangs on to it tooth and nail sometimes. So ideally, you know, you, you try to wean out of it and also perhaps, it, it, you know, endure or bear with a bit of pushing out of it by the way that life is and Sangha life is when you're getting very directly And notice just the, the, the charge that per- perception carries. Mm. Now particularly because uh, a lot of uh, the perceptual, char- perceptual meanings are, they're kind of carried in ways that don't seem emotional, don't seem like effects. You know, they're not like Pleasant, unpleasant, happy, sad, they're things like right. Right, is that, is that, is that happy or not happy? No, it's, it's not about emotions, it's right. That's all, right and wrong. That's not an emotional statement. You get very passionate about it as well, you're so unemotional, you get really... <laughs> so right is, a, is a, a big one, isn't it? Justice, right. 
You know, whenever you hear someone say, this person can be brought to justice, you know what that means. We're going to cause this person some big pain. <laughs> we want to see justice is done, means big pain is going to occur here. But we don't want to be, we don't want to be um, seen as doing that, so we just call it justice. Now, it's not that justice is wrong. That's another judgment, isn't it? But just, you know, could we actually expose some of the emotional material behind that? Is it really like, well, I'd really like this thing to be done in a way that's fair and, and you know, appropriate and so forth? Or is it, you yeah, know, so it's just? Or is it, you know, justice, which is really, I've been hurt, I want to cause you some pain back? You know, which, okay. You know, we can, I can relate to that, but that's not a jitana one wants to follow. Right. Another lovely word, isn't it? Sounds good, but right means a lot more than correct, doesn't it? It doesn't mean two and two equals four right. It means a lot of other things. You can feel the charge of it. You know, two and two equals four doesn't really bring me much charge. <laughs> but when, when you get the flush of... This is right and, you know, righteousness. Then you, you just by the very quality of the charge, something in you says, wait a minute, let's just check this one out. Is this really a sense of, of faith and encouragement? Is it a warm charge that's saying, oh, this is really, really right, I feel really right about this, I feel, you know? Or is it, you know, right, blame, judgment, right, wrong, you know? Because the word is actually just a word. So you've got to be aware of some of these words that one uses towards oneself or others. Right, wrong, fair, just, you know. You use the word fair, sometimes you can always hear the complaint behind it. Fair. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's... That's, that's okay if we could just kind of reveal it. It means there's pain here. You know? And then well, what, what's happening? Is that a pain that's actually a pain that's, that's we have to feel because we've got to grow to something bigger? You know, it's like teething pains. It hurts a bit. You know, to come out of my, my trauma boundary to something a bit bigger. You know, it's not fair. I don't see why you should have to do this. It's not really... You know, Okay, this is just the, the teething pains, right? Well, let's see if we can open through that. So you contemplate these perceptions, not just as the words, but as the, as the, the effect, the felt effect it has. And then, is there... Can we reach for the perception of, you know, metta, karuna, mudito, peka towards oneself, towards planetary life, beings in general, specific beings who one, you know, on specific occasions when we found a little bit ourselves a little bit, you know, reactive. And what was that about? Hmm. So. Oh yeah, got something got going there. What was that about? What was the real meaning of that? 
What was, where was the boundary of myself that was getting crossed? This is really important to know where my boundaries are. And then maybe, because so you're not trying to, you know, just, you're trying to come out of those boundaries through wisdom. Saying, oh, I had a boundary there I didn't really realize and you've showed it to me. You've managed to find a button and push it. <laughs> now, what was that about? Who was I then? I was a little boy, not being listened to. That's who I was. <laughs> Shaking my fist, throwing a tantrum. That's who I was. Oh, and actually, that wasn't what was happening. You know, that's what was happening internally. That old bit of we Parker was coming up, but that not necessarily an accurate uh, rendition of the current situation. That's the way I took it. And of course, there's one perception that is considered the paramount, that all the other perceptions, um, skillful perceptions, lead up to. The most important perception, the Buddha said, you cultivate this for a, even a finger snap. It's worth more than giving uh, alms to the entire Sangha. <laughs> One perception above all to be encouraged. And... Uh, This is a magical one, and there's a story you can tell with this that there was this uh, story of a, of a great king who was about to, you know, take even conquering all these cities and countries, and he came to this kind of rather undefended city and was about to take over it, and the village headman came out and said, "Oh, please spare this city. Why?" So I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a gift that's more precious than everything else you've got in the world if you spare this city. Huh? Who are you? Who are you? Oh, I've got the most precious thing in the world. I'll give you this gift if you spare this city. So, okay, well, I'll, I'll, uh, that's interesting. Bring it to me tomorrow at dawn and we'll see. If it's not, then your city's going to go. So next day at dawn, the man came out and he had his little box with him. He opened the box up, took a wrapping out, unwrapped it. And there was a little ring, a gold ring. And King looked, he laughed. He said, gold ring, I've got hundreds of these things. You think this is a big deal? He said, no, no, look what's written on it, carved on it. And the king, he said, this ring will make you um, magnanimous in victory, it will make you uh, serene in defeat. It will make you economous with pain. It will make you uh, generous and non-grasping. This this one ring. So look what's written on it. And he looked in. It's got in carved, and it said, "This too will pass." <laughs> this too will pass. That's the, the greatest gift.
perception of, of impermanence. Often when we consider this as an idea, yeah, yeah, and what what we sort of come down to is more like a, a, a sense of like a um, cinematic impermanence. That is, things are real for a while and then they shift and change. It's like yeah, he was here for a while and then he went. It, it was impermanent. Leaves on the trees were there and then they they then they fell off. That was impermanent. Had, it kind of was there for a while and then it, it changed. So you get kind of like a juddering impermanence. I was happy and then bonk, it finished, now I'm sad. Yeah, and this is, um, this is not a perception, this is an idea. This isn't really taken deep enough. The perception impermanence, when you take it deeply, means nothing. <laughs> nothing actually lasts for a moment. Everything is just like mist. Just, you know, it's not nothing is substantial. It takes you to the what's called the quality of signlessness. Nothing really crystallizes into anything. It's all virtual. It's well, maybe so. It's all well, it depends. It's all you could go that way, and you know, mm-hmm. frustrating, kind of uh, um, on a cognitive level. But what it does here on a volitional level is your volition is actually free from that kind of, you know, wrenching into fourth gear and then into reverse. That kind of chug, 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 chug. Your volition is always, see. And then, well, considering which is the right way to go, let's feel what seems appropriate. So you don't get the same reflex. Uh, responses to experiences because you recognize that conventional reality is really just a kind of an agreement you know a moment by moment agreement or a moment by moment coming together of things so there's nothing really there extraneous to the conditions that support it including oneself including that which gives you the sense of self. It's just the aggregates coming together. And what's most important is how they come together in conventional terms. Are they coming together skillfully, unskillfully? Are they coming together in goodwill or in hostility? Are they coming together in greed, grasping, or in absence of that, letting go. They come in together in self and me and mine, or what's appropriate, what's, um, you know, dispassionate. This is actually, uh, and the perception of impermanence, the sign of it, when you hold, when that begins to really be touching into your volition, It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's terrifying for people. It's like, where am I? What's going on? I don't know what to, you know. There's a sense of loss of ground. In a way, it's a kind of an advanced uh, practice. 
So we tend to start with things like the refuges, the loving kindness, um, samatha, things that calm you, steady. The, 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 the titbits, the goodies that are put out. And you begin to learn, and it's okay to let go because you're given this. And eventually you begin to see, even more than, than having this good stuff, the sense of letting go itself becomes uh, something you're attuned to. It's all like being a bird, you know, before you can fly, then hopping from, you know, one worm to the next. And you look with the good worms, and the mother bird puts out the good worms, so you hop here and you hop there. Hop here. And then there comes a time when you actually you start to fly. And you think, oh, this is even better than just hopping you know, from one bit of bait to the next. It's not actually touching the ground. Um, And that's, if you like, um, dwelling in impermanence. Means it just dwells. Then you see which, on conventional terms, where which is the appropriate, or where do the, where's the most possibility for good karma to arise on the conventional level? And you steer that way. And uh, sometimes you, that means, you know, you've got a bit of giving up, or a bit of effort, or a bit of waiting. Patience, uh, uncertainty, but we can manage those. Say, so it is uh, permanence is a very ra- impermanence is a very radical thing because it does um, loosen all those boundaries of of that we that have been set up as I'm this and I'm not that and I know this and I can do that and I'm this and never that and I'm, this is my way and you know and you come into much more like a well maybe so sense of it and the the, the mind which is held into some state of coherence and identity through those um, structures feels a sort of you know suddenly you're dropping into something that doesn't feel so solid anymore you're not yourself anymore Mm. so we support that perception of impermanence with these other perceptions so one learns to trust the shifting of volition the lessening of self, the sense of dispassion, the space, the unknowing, the non-doing, the non-getting, the openness, where, you know, one feels safe in it, you know, one doesn't feel disempowered by it. It's not like be pathetic and vulnerable and incompetent and inadequate. It's not, you know, it's not disempowerment. It means power doesn't count here. Yeah. It's uh, something you don't need in order to, to be okay. You don't need to protect yourself. You don't need to 
to um, control and have. And yeah, um, this is, you know, perhaps realistically only possible in certain places in meditation. And when we come to the conventional world, perhaps we do need to be able to whip those boundaries up, you know. But at least you're doing it consciously and clearly and knowing, hey, this is a time for defense. This is a time for holding on. This is a time for controlling because things are going towards unskillful places. But it's coming not from a volition to, to strengthen up one's personal, you know, personality belief, but just in order to, to um, bring around what's good in the conventional realm. But in meditation, you know, we can get to that the dissolution, which is Nibbana. As is said in the Sutta, the perception is perception of impermanence when fully cultivated leads to the realization of not-self. And this is Nibbana, here and now, in Gutra, Nikaya, advice to Megia. So the realization, so that, that not having that, that structuring, when it's possible to not have that structuring, realization of not-self. Another is not a perception, it's a realization, which means it isn't an idea or an impression, it means the impressions cease. Crystals don't have to form. This is a Nibbana. Don't have to form. Mm. Yeah. Didn't what? Crystals form when you uh, you go into action. Volition it means you've got actually okay. This is true. This is real. This is the direction. So with the appearance of impermanence, working on the sense of the volition. It means there isn't something really there to, to go for or to get away from, to, to build or to, to, or to deconstruct. So your volition can then relax. Yeah. So that relaxing of volition, the, the charge, the push, the karma then ceases. Yeah. So that is, that's liberation. Just like that. <laughs> Do it. 